All right, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And let's talk a little bit about hope this morning. We're going to be towards the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, so if you want to go ahead and pull it up on version, um, your Bible app, or pull it up in your actual Bible, we're going to be in verses 16 through 18 as we talk about hope. Here's a, here's a really important component of hope, and I'm going to describe the scenario, and if you get confused, it's okay because I'm a little confused. Hope is not environmental, and by that I mean Hope, and you've heard this before, you've heard other teachers say it as well, you've probably come to that conclusion yourself, especially as you read through scripture, hope is not circumstantial. It is, there are, there's a beautiful picture, you can picture something beautiful in your mind, you can picture having woke up this morning, and you've got the shutter windows cantered so that the breeze is coming through and blowing through your house, and it's a, it's a wonderful temperature of about 71 72 degrees and it blows constantly. That's why you don't need air conditioning and it just blows through the house. It has a hint of oleander and a hint of plumeria blossoms and you, you smell it and it just feels good. And somebody's gotten up and made a cup of coffee, a real cup of coffee, not a K cup. I mean, just the real thing so you can smell it. And it just feels like a beautiful morning. And you realize you didn't wake up in Maui, you woke up in Houston and none of that's true. That's environmental. Good things happen and good things take place in the environment that can and do make you sense and have an understanding or a comprehension of hope. And so that's completely legitimate, but it is not total, it is not complete, it is not whole, because every morning doesn't play out that way. You don't always have that experience where everything in the environment, everything in the circumstance feels great and is great in those moments. And so hope can be influenced by environment, but hope isn't environmental in its very nature. And so we have to grasp and deal with this and and comprehend, okay, hope then becomes elusive because The conditions that I find myself in are not always the same way and not always conducive of bringing hope. You can wake up and it can be an absolutely terrible day. You could have received last night some of the most devastating news you've ever received. You could have had just a difficult last night. You could have not moderated the amount of pizza you ate and you, you couldn't go to sleep and you fought reflux all night and you snored and you woke your wife up all night and so she woke up tired. You could have had the worst night possible and you could step outside and it's not Maui and so there are no plumeria scents. At best, you might get honeysuckle off your back fence but the heat is stifling, the humidity is even more stifling and you had COVID last December and so your, what used to be perfectly straight hair now like waves and sticks out and does strange things after you lost all your hair from COVID and now you're trying to grow it back. And you could go to your car that's filthy dirty because you haven't had time to take it to the car wash and you turn on the radio and your least favorite song is playing and about this point you're asking yourself, why am I even up? Why did I even attempt this day? That's when hope seems elusive because in that environment, it may seem hopeless instead of hopeful. But if environment does impact hope, 
then are there things, and that's the question we're going to look at this morning out of 1 Thessalonians, are there things, are there activities, are there circumstances and situations that I can work on, that I can apply into my life that give me hope, that make hope palatable, and instead of elusive, I can capture it, and I can know that it's there, and I can sense it regardless of my environment. So that I can have hope in any environment. What most of us do, and this is where we struggle with hope, what most of us do is try to change our environment. When often what needs to happen is a change in our perspective. You can have the same bad night of sleep and you can wake up to the same heat and humidity and the oppressiveness of it and you can take the first song and immediately have it be your least favorite song, but you can stop, you can pause and you can, can remind yourself, no, today has purpose. I'm going to do something worthwhile today. I'm going to do something of value in my life. I'm going to see people that I value and people that I have relationships with. Today is worth it even if the hope is difficult in the moment. And so what we're going to do is just for a few minutes isolate three things that the Apostle Paul says that will impact our hope. Three things, three activities that we can do essentially every day, every morning when we get up. And it may not change our environment, but it impacts our perspective in such a way that regardless of our environment, we have hope. God has called Christians as believers, and he's called the unbeliever, the one who hasn't yet made that decision to trust Christ, and you're still thinking it through, and you're still asking questions, and you're still sorting it out, and you're trying to make it make sense in your mind and your heart. You just haven't quite gotten there yet. He's still calling you to a higher level, to a higher plane of living that is beyond and outside of the atmosphere where you found hopelessness. The three things are so simple. You're gonna, you're gonna stop for a moment, you're gonna say, this, is this really all it is? But they're essential. Paul's gonna tell us in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, starting in verse 16, he's gonna tell us to implement joy into our life. He's going to tell us to live a lifestyle that includes conversation with him. Simply, he's going to tell us to pray. He's going to tell us in the midst of that prayer to make sure that all of our prayers and all of our thought processes contain thankfulness and gratitude. And those three things in the language that Paul is writing in, as Paul wrote that letter to that church, those three things are perfect tense imperatives. Now let me explain that because it took me a long time to learn that. An imperative is a command. This is not an option. It's not like this might make you feel better or it might not. So make your decision, make your choice. Imperatives is an absolute command in scripture. It means whether you feel like it or not, you do this. Now see, this is where it gets difficult, where hope is elusive. Most of us, prayer, thanksgiving, gratitude, joy, and rejoicing seem to be environmentally based more than interpersonally based. And so it feels difficult at times. It feels difficult to always be joyous. I mean, I might change over to my favorite song and then have a sense of joy. But what if it's not available? What if I can't get it or something else is going on? 
Joy seems elusive because we think of it environmentally. Paul's not thinking environmentally. Paul is thinking not in terms of circumstances, but he's thinking in terms of activity, discipline, something we do. And he says, do joy, rejoice all the time. Prayer. How many of us have thought, I need to pray, but I don't feel like praying. Now, don't feel guilty about that. We all have those moments. My, my, Carrie calls me on her all the time. I'll be involved in some kind of conversation or something will be taking place and it's not something I'm particularly interested in. Not just with her, so don't pick on her after the service. But with anybody, any one of you, this happens. I'd hate to tell it to you. Don't go away depressed either. But I will just kind of start to tune out. I kind of begin to compartmentalize my mind. And so I got all this verbiage coming over here, but I'm thinking over here. It works fine. Until finally something gets asked, some kind of question gets asked. And in in her case, she'll say something like, what are you thinking about? I'll say, oh, nothing, just listening. She gives that look on her face like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. Not to me, you're not. I mean, and we, we we can do that. And that, and it's normal for us. It's normal for us at times to disengage in conversations. It's not good communication. It's not good for relationships. We all know that. We all understand that. That's why it feels kind of taboo uh, or wrong for me to say this is normal. It happens all the time. We disengage all the time in the middle of a conversation because, you know, we're not, you know, we're not supposed to do that. That's why you feel guilty when I say you need to pray even if you don't feel like praying. Because, I mean, if it's bad enough to disengage with your wife or it's bad enough to disengage with one of your colleagues, how bad is it to disengage with your spouse while they're talking? And then how bad is it to disengage with God while he's talking and you're talking? That's all prayer is. Prayer is simply a conversation with a God you cannot see, but I would say, encounter, you can feel and you can recognize and you can know that you're talking to him and he's listening to you. In fact, Scripture makes it perfectly clear over and over again. He says, look, I'm turning my head towards you. I'm listening to what you're saying. Prayer is a real conversation. But there are times when you don't feel like it. An imperative command means you pray whether you feel like it or not. The same thing with thankfulness. Being a thankful person who exhibits gratitude. It, it could be totally legit that you don't feel like, and I don't feel like there's anything to be grateful for. There are so many things environmentally, circumstantially that are wrong that you don't feel like there's any cause or any reason to be thankful. If you're going through grief loss, you don't feel like being thankful. If you're going through some difficulty physically and every move or every action hurts or seems difficult or even impossible, and nothing that you've been doing seems to work, it's hard to be grateful in in that moment. If you're struggling financially, I don't know of anything else that can rob us of gratitude than to not have the resources we want and think that we need to operate and to function. There are lots of legit reasons not to be grateful. But Paul's saying this imperative command again, this imperative, which by the way is in the perfect tense. So it means not only is it a command, but it is consistent and constant. There are no exceptions in the language Paul's using. 
So if I am going to be thankful, Paul is saying, be thankful always in every set of circumstances and continuously. It becomes a mark of your Christian experience to be thankful. And it's not optional. And that's why it's an activity. It's something we do that I believe the net result creates hope. And you can go through scripture just as I have and you can look at it and you can find any number of cross-references. But I wanna share just a couple that help us understand how we do this to experience hope when our environment is out of whack, when our environment is, is not sinking with our hearts and with our emotion. Rejoice always, he said in verse 16. Paul makes this same exact command to the church of Philippi, a neighboring church to the church in Thessalonica. He says in Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, it's a perfect tense imperative. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I will say it again, rejoice. It's like he knows we're not going to want to do this. I am not in the mood to be joyful, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that my joy, Jesus's joy, may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is a significant key. If you're that person who's still contemplating, do I want to trust Jesus? Do I want to know Jesus? This is a good example of why it's worth trusting Jesus. Jesus is telling his disciples, his friends, that afternoon as he's talking to them, he says, all these things I've been telling you, things that will help you live, things that will guide you, things that will give you direction, all these things I've been telling you, I've been telling you so that my joy will be in you. God wants to supernaturally place his joy in us. That's why it's not environmental especially as a Christian, especially as a believer in Jesus, because it is God's joy residing in us. We can understand the technicality of righteousness. We know we're unrighteous. We know we've sinned. We know we need God's forgiveness. We know we need Jesus's death to forgive us of that sins, just like Lila made that decision to believe in Jesus and to trust him We know we can do that because we know we're unrighteous. We know we can't attain righteousness. We know we're not godly. We know we're not holy. But we know that when we trust Jesus, Jesus puts righteousness into our life. He puts holiness into our life. All that was impossible before I knew Jesus is possible now that I know Jesus. And you have heard me teach that over and over again. You've heard other teachers teach that. But have we stopped long enough to realize that in that formula of life change, Jesus said right here in John 15, verse 11, Jesus said, well, you know what? Yes, I'm going to put righteousness in your life. And yes, I'm going to give you the possibility of godliness. And and yes, I'm going to give you the possibility of perfection. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to put my joy in you. So that it is not circumstantial. It is not environmental. And so we can read through history and we can listen to testimonies of people who have been in some of the most atrocious and difficult and perplexing situations. And they unusually and supernaturally found hope 
because they practiced joy in that circumstance. They did it, and they continued to do it. Nehemiah, great leader of the Old Testament, reestablished all the walls, all the security around Jerusalem. Nehemiah commented when challenged in his leadership and challenged in his vision to reestablish the security of Jerusalem. When he was challenged, he told the people, do not grieve. This is in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. Do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength because it's internal to us. It's part of the reason we became believers and we trusted in Christ. We not only have righteousness, God's righteousness in us, but we have God's joy in us. And so we practice that. We practice, we rejoice always, and we do pray constantly. Paul said this, Don't worry about anything, but in everything. Don't worry about anything. That includes every circumstance any one of us might face. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, which also includes, again, every circumstance, every environmental situation we might find ourselves in. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer. And then he uses a second word for it, petition or intercession. It's the process of having that conversation with God through prayer in any and every circumstance through prayer that includes thanksgiving, he says, prevent your request to God. Just present it to God. Just tell him. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. In any situation, whatever your need is, just tell him. Ironically, he already knows, but there's a unique dynamic in that relationship where when we ask, doors can be opened and answers can come. And when we knock, as Jesus described it, those doors can be open. We can move through those doors. He can move through that door. When we seek, we can seek with a sense of destination and a sense of purpose because God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. And I don't have time this morning to go through all the repercussions of that because not all prayers are answered the same way and not all prayers are answered the way I want them answered. But the key to that equation and the key to that scenario is the way I, I mean, that's like a capital I, that's like a giant capital I that's been bolded and italicized. I mean, it's like a a huge I, it's not the way I wanted those prayers answered. But when I look back over my life, they were answered, whether it was the way I wanted to answer or not. The question here is not whether or not God answers prayer. The question here is if we want hope, are we willing to pray? Are we willing to have that conversation? We can legitimize that it's hard sometimes and sometimes I just don't feel like it. But yet I'm commanded. And this command yields a sense of hope in our lives. So I will pray whether I feel like praying or not. And it's amazing how many times once you get started, then you just don't know where to finish. It's one of those things, you just gotta start. Just got to go for it. And then suddenly you find out talking to God is not that bad and not that boring and, and not that difficult. Joy, prayer, thankfulness. In verse 18, he says, give thanks in everything. Paul says it in almost every one of his letters. In Philemon, he said, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. Live thankful. 
Live grateful. You know, and I'll be honest, I've kind of struggled with this one because again, environmentally, it's hard to be grateful all the time. Remember that perfect tense imperative that says I'm going to be this and I'm going to do this in this moment and I'm going to continue doing it in every moment from this point forward? Well, that's not easy when it comes to gratitude and thankfulness. I don't always feel thankful. And and we tend to run to the end of scenarios. Well, should I be thankful that somebody I love has passed away? Well, absolutely not. God hates death as much as any one of us hates death. God grieves over death as much as any one of us grieves over death. It was never his plan. The sooner we recognize this, the better we're going to be with our hope. God did not create death. We did. There was no death in the Garden of Eden. There was no death with Adam and Eve until after they sinned. God is not responsible for the deaths we grieve. We are. Generationally, one generation to the next, we have sinned and continue to sin, and death reigns in our world because of us. And the only remedy is to find forgiveness and cleansing and righteousness in Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to make a difference. But you're still living here until you get to be in heaven. Which is why we're told heaven is a place that lacks mourning. It lacks grieving. It lacks tears. Because you're back into the perfect thing God created in the beginning that we messed up. So no, no one's going to tell you to be thankful if you lose somebody. That's like sadistic and just messed up. You can't be thankful when you're hurting that bad. But we can own it. And then we can be thankful for the things God does. That phone call that came out of the blue. That text that somebody just decided to check in and say, hey, I know you're hurting. I know you're going through this right now. There are elements, even in the midst of probably the most difficult situation, death itself and loss itself, that we can be thankful for. And even if that didn't happen, even if there never was a text, never was a phone call, never was a visit, maybe you showed up and you were the only one there, even in that moment, be thankful that death is temporary. This is not going to haunt us for all eternity. A day is coming for all of us, and we already studied this in Thessalonians. When Jesus is coming back, and when we join him, and from that point on, death and loss will never be an issue again. This is purely temporary. It doesn't mean we don't miss. It doesn't mean we don't cry. It doesn't mean we don't hurt. But we have the ability through faith to look beyond that. No, I'm not thankful if a car accident happens. No, I'm not thankful that they increased my mortgage 20%. No, I'm not thankful that they also increased the escrow 20%. No, I'm not thankful to be paying that. No, I'm not thankful that I went to the grocery store to find my favorite thing and it's not there. No, I'm not thankful that I went to the grocery store to find something I absolutely needed and it wasn't there. No, I'm not thankful that we're sitting at 8.9% consumer price index and inflation. No, I'm not thankful that I am going to be your pastor for a long time based upon stock market results the last three weeks. So just get, get used to me and all my eccentricities and all my quirks. I'm, I'm hanging around for a while. But, well, that sounds kind of bad. I said, no, I'm not thankful. Let me, let me clarify that. I'm not thankful for the net result on return and investments lately, but I'm still thankful that if I'm going to stay around for a while, it's with you. Is that everybody clear on that? 
I don't want somebody going home this afternoon and saying, pastor is not thankful to be with us. And uh, that's not what I, there are moments, but in this moment, that's not the moment. Find the things that we can be thankful for. That's why he tells us to do this. I mean, it seems kind of weird even to me to say, you're commanded to be thankful because there's a lot of things that I'm not grateful for. But let me hold on. When I used to rock climb, and you'd get a good finger hold and you would just grip and hold because it's all you had. Thankfulness is sometimes that way. It's just a little bitty knob on the side of a frightening cliff, but hold onto it. Those are the three commands. But I like what he says in the end. Our band's going to come up and we're going to conclude. Just see this is the direction that hope brings. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You're a believer in Christ now. You've trusted in Jesus. You've, you've let him forgive you. You've let him come into your life. You've let him begin to make these life changes. Now live this way. This is God's will for you. Peter said it like this. Live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. All those human desires, they're circumstantial, they're environmental, they're temporary. Live for a plan that is above all of that. Lift our eyes, as scripture describes it, and look to our Savior, look to our God, and follow him. The apostle John said this to the congregation he led. Do not love the world or the things of the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, all those are environmental, by the way. Those things are not from the Father, but are from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. This is an eternal adventure. This is an eternal journey. We do what God asks us to do for all of our lives. Paul said this to the church at Ephesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the mighty working of his strength. That's Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. Worth taking a look at. The hope of his calling. These three things make a difference. Joy makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. And thanksgiving makes a difference. And enables us to walk the direction that God wants us to walk. And it's an eternal forever walk.